theme song. Hello, freaks and weirdos. Good afternoon, good evening, good middle of the night to all of you listening late at night to podcasts in the wee hours of early morning or whatever time you're listening to this. My name is Josh Eleven, and I am recording. This is the Spaceboat One podcast from beautiful Victoria, British Columbia. Hey, how's it going? This week on the podcast, I have a guest, which I'm about to get to in a minute. Oh, I interviewed uh, Dave Morris, who is a local improviser. He's uh, he does he's the artistic director at the Paper Street Theatre uh, Improv Company in Victoria, so he does a lot of cool stuff. And I asked him a few questions. I sat down with him, um, and uh, I think I think I asked him some dumb questions. <laughs> so, and I just wanted to say hi to all of you. Uh, shout out to all all the people in Victoria doing uh, creative things like theater, comedy, improv. Uh, I watched, um, who I, I went and see the, saw the, the Vikes improv the other night of their first uh, show of the season, um, which I enjoyed very much. And I, I went to see um, some shows at Ratfish on, well, Monday and Thursday, Ratfish, so I'll just remind uh, my listeners, hey, check it out, Ratfish, on go to... Um, Ratfish, which is in the Ramada on Gorge Street, Gorge Street in Victoria, on every Monday and Thursday for Monday's Open Mic, Thursday's Select Show. We had a great one last week. We had uh, we had Sam Lee hosting, which was a lot of fun. Um, and then uh, n- then we had we had Drew host the Open Mic on Monday yesterday. Uh, it was uh, I had a lot of fun. Um, I I did. I didn't do so well as far as like getting people to actually laugh <laughs> on Monday, so I'm hoping that uh, yeah, future performances will not be as bad. And and I think I'll write probably start writing some new jokes, but I don't know what to. But I, I should stop taking up all this time because we have an interview to get to. So without further ado, my interview with uh, Dave Morris. Okay, so uh, welcome to the space bo- space boat one changed the name recently podcast and this week i have a guest with me uh this is the first guest for this podcast first guest ever (laughs) i can put in a sound effect uh we have dave morris who is uh my improv teacher my friend and um he's the artistic director at paper street theater Mm -hmm. in victoria that's me that's you. Uh, hey, Dave. Uh, how are you doing? I'm good, Josh. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on your your being. Uh, thanks for having me as your first guest on your brand new podcast. It's uh, exciting. Cool. Uh, yeah. Welcome to my parents' house. It's wonderful. <laughs> lots, yeah. lots of stuff in here. Neat things around. Yeah. Lots of things for you to look at. Sewing machines, <laughs> guitars, weightlifting equipment, drums. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, cool. So yeah. Good to have you here. Um, so. We should, be t- we should interview you. That's what I should do. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, I should ask you about, so you do what you do in the world of entertainment uh, is you do improv shows for Paper Street. Uh-huh. Um, that's like your main thing, right? Uh, yeah, my main thing, I am an improviser. Yeah. So the, I guess the main, there's, there's two main things I do. One is I produce improv shows. So Paper Street Theater, we have a season of shows that just launched actually um, with a, uh, with a uh, David Mamet coming up in October, and then we have a Lethal Christmas in December, and then we have Margaret Atwood in February. So we're doing three shows this season. And uh, we also do, like, a few other shows around town. We run the Improv Cabaret Show at the Victoria Events yep. Center. that one. 
which uh, some of your listeners may have been to. And yep. also, uh, we're starting up soon, TBA, TBD, T- to be announced and decided, and decided. TB- TBAD, uh, studio sessions at Paper Street Studio, which is uh, where we operate out of, and we're going to start doing some Saturday night shows there, just really small, intimate comedy shows, uh, which should be pretty cool. Uh, so that's Amazing. the one thing we do is shows and producing shows and yep, performing yep. and things. That's one of my main things. And then the other thing I do is I uh, teach classes. So yep. Paper Street Studio operates as a school. Uh, like you said, I'm your improv teacher. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so we have uh, classes that run all through the week and people come, uh, different levels. So we level one, two, three, some long-form classes now, a master's class that runs. And uh, so we have lots of students learning at lots of different levels and for different reasons. Some people are there yep. to be comedians. Some people are there just to loosen up on the weekend to think a little differently, you know. Yeah, yeah. it's fantastic. Uh, I guess I went there, like I gave you a list of my goals and they've sort of changed over time. It's like yeah. I wanted to, be, wanted to be more funny for for podcasting yeah. for that purpose. Um, and then I was like, well, I maybe want to get into comedy a little bit. So I started doing stand-up comedy. I know. I've I've seen you do some stand-up so comedy. You've seen me on stage, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, improv is really valuable for that. Mm-hmm. Like, I think improv is just a valuable skill. Like, yeah. I, I don't think anyone would ever deny that learning how to improvise is bad for you. Right? There's nothing, no negative <laughs> side effects of it. Yeah. Uh, you could call improvisation maybe uh, lazy, but anyone that's ever actually done improvisation knows that uh, improvisers uh, work their asses off to get to the point where they can be lazy. You know, so yeah. it takes it takes so much work so that you can be lazy. So I don't know if I'd call that lazy. Well, that's I've noticed about um, Paper Street uh, that you do have. Like you put on productions that you actually put effort into, Lots, like a lot yeah. of effort, and and like I mean, it uh, blows me away the shows that I've seen. I mean, I haven't seen enough of them, but I'm gonna be seeing more. Yeah, well, we do. Yeah, like we spend months rehearsing a show. So, and because we do a lot of genre work and style stuff. So, like for instance, David Mamet, which we're doing in October, Improvs for Closers. We've been rehearsing for a month already, and the show doesn't open for another month. Uh, so. Just to prepare, just to learn Mamet. We're while we're watching Mamet, we're reading Mamet, yeah. we're talking about Mamet, and then we're rehearsing in that kind of style of David Mamet's aggressive, masculine, chauvinistic, uh, <laughs> vulgar style. And so, yeah, uh, we work. David we Mamet has examples of films such as Wag the Dog, Wag the Dog, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, mm-hmm. American Buffalo, uh, a lot of great films, um, but also a lot of great plays, like Speed the Plow, which is at the Belfry right now. Wow, cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So, so yeah, so we work pretty effing hard. Uh, yeah, what does a, um, like, one of your rehearsals, uh, do they change over the, like, leading up to the show? Do what do your rehearsals look like? Yeah, they change leading up to the show, for sure. Like, the first few are hardly, I mean, the first, it's maybe, playing and the first two you could barely call rehearsals, because we literally sit around a table and talk oh, okay. it's about yeah. David Mamet and what we read and what we watched and what we noticed and what do we think are the elements that make a David Mamet play feel like a David Mamet play, you know? Uh, so we do book reports basically for two weeks. Okay. And then we get up on our feet and start playing, and that's when it starts getting fun. Now, uh, your your job, like you're the artistic director, Does that are you like kind of 
leading this whole thing, or do you are other people like how much of it is your contribution? And yeah, so as artistic director, uh, the whole the whole shebang is sort of my vision. So uh, I think I think that's important. I know I know what I'm trying to achieve with the company, and therefore when I ca- choose what shows we're going to do in the season, I know what I'm trying to achieve with that season, and so on and so forth. But we do have uh, like we run. A few other shows or things we do every year, like we do the D&D Improv show uh, as well, which is yeah. headed up by Scott Thompson, who's a member of our company, so he sort of directs that show. Okay. Um, and uh, as and for the most part, I just let him do whatever he wants. And yeah. as I mean, since it is it is like you know, what Paper Street does is my baby, so I still oversee. I talk to <laughs> yeah. him, you know, I yeah. help him. I, I more, but I more support him in making the show happen. Uh, we also do like the uh, Jane Austen show every summer now at the Jane Austen Tea Party because nice. we we did it one year and they loved it and then they keep bringing us back and so uh, and so whenever we do that that show uh, uh, a woman in our company Nicole sort of heads it up and she's like our uh, our on the f- on the day she's the, she's the one in charge so uh, so we do have like depending on certain shows we'll have different people kind of leading different things and same with the studio sessions that are going to be coming up TBD TBAD. <laughs> Uh, those will each of those will be run by a different person, so they'll kind of show run it, okay. and so they'll be in charge of those shows. Are you is part of your mission like um, uh, helping artists do more like like growing the community of theater of, of improv that kind of idea? Definitely growing the community of improv. I mean, improv in Victoria. You're doing teaching, obviously. So yeah, like like I I want more, there to be more improv, and yeah. it's it's working. There's a lot more improv now than when I first came to Victoria. I think when I first came cool. to Victoria, it was like in a bit of a downturn of improv. <laughs> There's where there had been one company that had been around for a long time, the Impromaniacs, who have since dissolved. And now, if you look at all the improv companies around town, they probably have a member who was in the Impromaniacs at some point, <laughs> uh, except for some of the younger ones. The younger ones, they're just, they were too young. Uh, but, but uh, when I got here it, in Victoria, it was like the Impromaniacs were around, and that was pretty much it. And then improv had kind of sagged. When did you arrive in Victoria? I moved here six or seven years ago. Okay. So 2008, 2009. Yeah. Uh, and and so in those uh, six or seven years, the w- world of Victoria has changed a lot. Like that's, that's great. Like improv that's is now. There's like a quite a few shows that happen every month. There's a lot of improvisers now, and if not improvisers, people who have improvised. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of uh, some there's quite a few stand-up comedians now that are that have come through our classes as well in Victoria that are making a you know a name for themselves in the comedy scene. Yeah. And uh, and a lot of just actors that have come through and a lot of people who you know we we I guess are kind of helping grow the community of artists. But my main goal yeah. is improv. Yeah, that's that's great. And that's that's my main focus. Always has been. Um, do you like there? I recently was talking on this podcast about the uh, there's a bit of a rivalry I guess between like stand up and improv mm. that seems to be is, a, there? Like, is there a rivalry uh, maybe I'm just making it up I don't know I mean I, I, I don't know. is there a rivalry I don't know is I don't think like maybe a healthy rivalry I don't know I don't <laughs> think improvisers think much about stand up comedians uh, okay I maybe think, I think that maybe the comedians are more obsessed with it I don't know I don't know maybe maybe uh, the improvisers that also do comedy. I don't know the people that are kind of in both worlds. Maybe they like like West Side Story each other. 
but all the comedians I know, we get along pretty oh, okay. well. I, mean, right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a rivalry with any of them. I think if there's anything that, that makes stand-up comedy, that that, may, that bothers improvisers about stand-up comedy, is that the public's perception of improvisation is the same as it is of stand-up comedy. So mm-hmm. when you tell people you do improv, they assume that means you do stand-up comedy. Oh, right. They just assume. <laughs> and they say, oh, cool, you do stand-up. And then you have to be like, no, actually, I don't do stand-up. I make theater that's spontaneous. It's funny still, but it's spontaneous. Yeah. Okay. Um, do, you see, like, uh, do you see improv as a place for, like, superstars to be born? Because some, like... I've noticed that looking into stand-up comedy, it's like, oh, you know, people blow up and get really big and mm-hmm. do, like, big, huge... Um, I, I haven't... S- maybe I'm just not looking in the right places, but I haven't seen the same for improv, or is there... Um, does it matter? Well, I mean, if you look at, like, all these the stand-up com- comedians you're, talk- like, you're talking well, about... Well, there's... A, up, yeah, they're all in that. Most of them were also improvisers, you know. Yeah. Tina Fey uh, was an improviser. Uh, with Amy Poehler... Uh, um, Stephen Colbert. They all they all came through Second City's training and through the improv training yeah. and and or through uh, Improv Olympic or through uh, the Upright Citizens Brigade. Yeah. All these improv companies. Uh, so I think it's it's I think it's both. I, th- I think uh, yeah. I think improv improv is it can be a great platform to launch yourself into something, but not because of the improv, but because of the skills I think you gain through improv. Sure. Right. Like okay. if you yeah. like Mike Myers came through improv like. Uh, even uh, Chris Farley was an improviser. Like You're all right. the Saturday That's Night Live true. people all came yeah. through improv. Um, and I think it's just like uh, the skills you need to improvise. If you want to take those skills and go on to be like a stand-up comedian and or to be a, a sketch comedy actor, they will help you a yeah. lot. And uh, I guess I get that question. I, sometimes I get that question about like why why I'm not doing TV or something or why I'm not doing stand-up. Yeah. Uh, and I just don't like it. <laughs> not, not that I don't like it. Like I like television. I like stand-up comedy. You like but doing. I don't like doing it. Yeah. Like uh, I, I'm not. I don't. I don't find it as fulfilling as improvising. When I first fell into improv, that a magical the the beauty of like every show I'm making up just right now for this one audience, and at the end of the show, we're the only people that got to experience that, and then it's over. That's sort of Taoist like uh, Zen Buddhist kind of <laughs> the moment is everything and then it's gone feeling of improv yeah. is what kept me doing it uh, and immediately stole me away from doing like theater you know as soon as I found improv and what it could be and then yeah. as I've done it more and more and more it's like I don't think I can go back I tried doing a play a couple of years ago and it was just really hard like did you write a play or I was in a play I was in yeah. a play yeah yeah started in a play yeah and um, uh, and it was really hard to be in a play and like see the audience bored, and not be able to do anything about it. Do you like? Do you have that? Do you enjoy being like the center of attention? That kind of idea, like um, on stage. Do you crave that? Do you want to be a star? Or not not like it that, but that's a good question. Because I, mean? I think anyone that gets into performing <laughs> has that to some extent. You know, like you don't go and like I want to get on stage in front of people <laughs> unless you want people to watch you on stage in front of them like I don't think to become a performer and not have that as some part of who you are uh, is in, I would say almost impossible 
Yeah, unless you're like Shirley Temple and your parents just dressed you up like a doll and made you do it, you know. Uh, but I think for the most part, everyone has that to an extent who who does what we do, and uh, and I think with improvising, you ha- you don't lose it, but you have to keep it in check all the time because mm-hmm. ego Cause you're is sharing yeah, because you're sharing the stage, you're sharing everything, and so ego is something that can easily destroy an improv show, and so. When you're on stage with people, you have to put that ego out of the way and listen and accept and build together and make offers and yes and, yes and, yes and, uh, and just take what they're doing and make it better. Because if you go on stage with the attitude of like wanting people to watch you, then you steal focus from everybody else and you shoot down offers and you block everyone's ideas and the whole show falls apart and then ends up being a terrible show. So if you want to have a good show, you have to get your ego out of the way. Yeah. Well, I guess that would, that would be why in, improv would be a good s- way to gain skills for real life because you won't, people like being around the kind of the people who are doing yes anding and sharing and and not being all about themselves and stuff. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, it's, it's like uh, one of the things I say in class all the time now is uh, uh, about <laughs> communication and improvisation is a lot about communicating with your partner, right? Uh, giving them an offer, making it really clear so they understand what you're saying. Uh, eye contact, all that stuff, a lot of communication. But the first thing you have to do in order to communicate is listen. Because if you don't listen, there is no communication. You're just two people yelling at each other, like just into a vacuum, you know. And so mm-hmm. listening is an uh, is a it's it's not about you. It's about the other person. And so you have to learn to listen. You have to learn to make it about the other person. If you want to succeed in improv, and yeah. really, if you want to succeed <laughs> as like with people, just yeah, in general, <laughs> if you want a friend, right? you can ma- you can succeed in business without ever listening to another person, but you will have no friends. <laughs> um, cool. I wanted to ask you about uh, you have a podcast with Stephen Ray Orr. Did I say I his do. name yeah, right? That's it, Stephen okay. Ray Orr. Okay, I haven't met him in person. I would like to. Um, uh, I list- I started with episode four, which is the David Mamet, which is the one you're. That's the next one you're performing. That's the next show we're doing, yeah. Um, and uh, like I was blown away by like I really love that episode. Oh, just, great! But Thanks. I mean, it's stuff I like to listen to. Um, so then I listened. Uh, you must be up to episode seven or eight. I think we just put out episode eight okay. this week. I can check if you want, but yeah, I think it's episode eight. Yeah. Um, it wasn't the Ender's Game was seven, or Ed, or Orson Scott Card in general, I guess. Oh, we focused on Ender's Game. Yeah, Ender's we did Game. not talk about Orson Scott Card. We tried not to talk about <laughs> okay, it at all. Right? Yeah. I mean, his his work. I guess yeah. his un- the Enderverse. Is the Enderverse. Yeah. We are we are at episode eight, and episode eight okay. was uh, friendship into foeship. It was on Arch Enemies. Oh yeah, just, yeah. Just came yeah, out this week. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So the show is called The Style Guide. Yeah, The Style Guide. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the Style Guide podcast. You can go to the styleguide.ca. The style Guide. Yeah. yeah. Uh. Yeah. If, if our list, if my listeners enjoy what I do here, I'm sure they'll enjoy Stylegate even better. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I wanted to ask you, and there's another one, you do a short one with him also, the Question Period. Yeah, I do a political podcast yeah, too cool. called Question Period, yeah. <laughs> which uh, which I was just talking about on the CBC this morning. Which oh, is nice. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about it all day. Man. I, I love it. Um, but yeah, the style guide. You wanted to ask me questions about the podcast. Or? I just wanted to ask you about podcasting as a medium. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you like? 
Because it seems to me like your the style guide kind of supports your Paper Street stuff in a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, the idea for the style guide, and for people who haven't listened to it, which I'm assuming is everybody uh, who's listening to this, um, the style guide is a Paper Street Theater podcast. That's sort of how we build it. Mm-hmm. And what Paper Street Theater does is break down genres and stories and then recreate them in an improvised way. And what the style guide was, was myself and Stephen Orr, who's an alumni of the company who lives in Ottawa now. So he moved away. And so we kind of like, you know, this, like, you know, the year he was away, we'd text all the time. And he came to visit. And while he was here visiting in the spring, we started talking. We stayed up late into the evenings talking and debating the semantics of what makes a sequel a sequel uh, as opposed to a spinoff. And it was just this long talk (laughs) into the middle of the night that got really nitty gritty. It took like four hours before we finally decided that it's impossible to tell um so um <laughs> or it's it, it's i won't there, there's you gotta listen to the podcast for the answer yeah uh, but we had this talk and realized that this is what him and i love to do together is just talk about story and style and he loves paper street and what we do i love paper street and what we do mm-hmm. so it seemed like this would be a good podcast it's just the two of us talking about a style a topic and getting into like really nitty-gritty details about it yeah. so not just like what is our genemies but let's talk about how our enemies relate to regular villains. When do you become an arch enemy as opposed to a villain? Uh, like all that kind of stuff and get really into the details of it and talk about that one topic for like an hour. Yeah, yeah. Because I guess you can't – well, you could maybe do that on the radio, but it seems like podcasting is made for that. Kind yeah, of like the radio um, where where like, you know, people tune in and out. Um, so the, the, the what, what they tune out for they miss and they tune back in and it's – and time has passed. Whereas a podcast, you pause it, yeah. and then you pick it back up later. So you you can get really into these like <laughs> really in depth conversations and detailed discussions. Uh, so the yeah. style guide was sort of born from that. This idea of Steve and I talking once a week about something and getting into the details of that style of story or style of film or television or playwright or author. We've done. Yeah, so we did origin stories and sequels. We talked about trilogies. We talked about David Mamet. We talked about uh, the Enders series, that one book series. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about, we, we've recorded another one that hasn't come out yet on Nicolas okay. Cage and the, the, the films of Nicolas Cage. So it's just a romp <laughs> through the life of Nicolas Cage. Uh, so sometimes we'll focus on an actor, sometimes we'll focus on an author, and it's it's just this really fun, to me anyway, it's like the greatest podcast that nerds out about all of the things that I love, yeah. which is storytelling and, and genre and books and television and movies, yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, and then the other podcast you quickly mentioned was yeah. the political podcast that Steve and I started, because Stephen is in Ottawa right now getting his PhD in political science. That's why he's there. Okay. That's why yeah. he left Victoria. And you ask kind of, uh, I don't want to you ask beginner questions or like, like well, what's the political party he, he so he moved and when when we started doing the style guide we were doing it over Skype and we'd record our own conversations and edit them together and in those talks we'd always talk a little bit beforehand and because the election was coming up I'd always start I started asking him stuff about politics because you know, like I was just starting to get curious and I I'm not a political person well I mean everyone's a political person but you know I'm not like a I'm not I'm not huge into campaigning and politics and all this and that and Stephen is so we so I'd ask him and he'd give me the answer but oh fascinating I didn't know that and then after a while a few of these style guides I was like this is we should make a podcast where I just ask you a question about politics and then you answer (laughs) 
and uh, and to do it in five minutes, right? And it's kind of inspired by this podcast called Robot or Not, with oh, okay. uh, these two guys, John Syracuse and uh, and uh, oh, what's his name from Six Colors, uh, Jason Snell. And basically, Jason Snell asks John Syracuse, "Is this person, is this character, a robot or not?" So he'd say like, "Is R two D two a robot or not? Mm-hmm. Is uh, Hal a robot or not?" Is data a robot or not? Is the ATM machine a robot or not? And like just sort of over and over again. And then the episode's only like five minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just his answer as whether or not it's a robot. Uh, and it was kind of like, I love the idea of this simple question and this simple short five-minute answer. And so uh, that was basically what Steve and I were doing anyway. And I was like, let's do the podcast. Yeah. And so we've started doing it. And it's been a lot of fun. So I ask him sometimes stupid questions like, how long can you call yourself the new Democratic Party? <laughs> when do you just become no, a Democratic so Party? You know, it's a stupid question. Uh, I, I think it's just silly. And then Steve gives the most intelligent, <laughs> thoughtful answer that goes into the history of the party and back into the 60s when they were originally the new party. Yeah, and then they I became, didn't know that. Yeah, and then they became the new Democratic Party. So new is like a big part of the com- the, the the history of it. And so, like, uh, learning all these things in this funny way is, is just great. Yeah. Like, and you guys timed it really well, too, like, just before an election. So hopefully people pick it up and... Yeah, well, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was almost like because there's an election is why we made it, not, not that okay. we made yeah, it. Right. Right, because... Uh, so it's like it inspired us as much as we, were, we perfectly timed it. Uh, but it's amazing that the amount of people that actually enjoy the Question Period podcast more than the Style Guide podcast. Even though the Style Guide is like the one that Steve and I love. Yeah. And then Question Period is like, it's a cute little podcast we do where I ask him a question <laughs> about politics. Yeah. Yeah. Today we had our first listener question, too, actually. We're taking requests. Oh, yeah. Now. Yeah. About, uh, from listener Chris Gable about how they're expanding the House through 30 seats. They're adding 30 seats oh, yeah. to the House of Commons. And so... Uh, the question was like, how how does the building handle the expansion, and where's the limit? Like, how far oh, can it expand? Just, yeah, just add an addition, or so they just add more <laughs> seats, like to, to make the other seats smaller and stuff. And so he gives a really great answer. You can check it out. Check Qu- out questionperiod.net. Um, I also wanted to ask you, uh, or ask you, or talk oh, about. Cha- oh, what you wanted to ask? You did ask me something about ask another question that I forgot about the podcasting as a medium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. I'm, I'm a huge. Yeah. L- I listen to so many podcasts, and uh, it can reach further than a local, like, you know. Oh sure, yeah. So it's, it's, on the internet. it's on the place. internet. It's on the internet. The internet's amazing, but uh, but what I like about podcasting is that it's uh, um, what I do improv doesn't work on the internet very well. Mm, yeah. You know, like uh, anytime you film someone doing improvised theater and then show it online, it's like it looks crap like the sound quality is not good because they're on stage and the lighting doesn't look right for the camera and the laughter and all that is sort of echoey and not like like you kind of need to be there to really appreciate it Mm -hmm. and so it's not the kind of thing that i can put online and put out there and and uh and reach like a bigger audience or just like you know just just uh find my peoples you know where my peoples at Mm. um so Instead, uh, podcasting is something that does work really well and can get out there and can reach a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And so if I could find a way to marry the two, and which is mm-hmm. I think what the style guide does is it kind of takes my love of storytelling and, and genre and, and talking about that stuff and marries it with podcasting really well. And, uh, and so 
Uh, so that's what I like about it. And then the question period is just fulfilling my curiosity about politics. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. Um, uh, and and yeah, like I sometimes see podcasting because I see a lot of stand-up comedians get into podcasting. And what they do with their podcast is they they advertise their shows, or I'm going to be at so and so theater mm. this weekend, or so and so town. Mm-hmm. So it seems like it it supports them that way, like it's yeah, it's complimentary. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I haven't used it much to plug anything really. I mean, I guess the style guide we do talk yeah. about Mammoth and therefore tell everyone that we're doing the show, but that's about it. <laughs> like yeah. we don't really say like this is the day, come get your tickets. Uh, I try not to. And same with like question period, we had. Uh, we were approached by this website, um, which I'll keep it nameless for now, but sure. a political website that wanted to feature us on their site and wanted to make sure we're nonpartisan, which of course we're nonpartisan. We're just I'm, I'm, we're we're talking about the ideas of politics, not not well, what's happening in done current events. Liberal, so. the name liberal and the name new democrat. Yeah. you haven't done any other parties yet. Green party's coming soon. We have a question about uh, I've, we already recorded it which is, is the Green Party a left-wing party or a right-wing party? Mm. And then the question, what is the Conservative Party conserving? That's coming up pretty soon, so you can get ready for that one. Uh, the answer will surprise you. Um, but um, So we're trying to keep it nonpartisan, so I do have questions for all the major Canadian parties so that we can, like <laughs> again, remain nonpartisan. But I was approached by a website about it, and they wanted to like maybe get a shout-out on the podcast in oh exchange yeah. for putting us on their website, yada, yada. Uh, and I was like, um, no. I don't want to mm. do that. I, I like because it would destroy the format of. Yeah, well, so it's, it's only what five. So it's five minutes. minutes yeah. and I say so, Stevo, and then I ask a question. Yeah. That's today's question, and then he answers the question for a while. I ask some follow-up questions, and then it ends with a nice little bell ring, and that's the end of the podcast. It's a beautiful little mm-hmm. format. I really like it. I find it like almost like a haiku. Yeah. Uh, and so having like a plug in there, like, hey, and by the way, everyone, like as soon as I start addressing the listeners, it breaks the format of the question period. And so uh, so I, I didn't want to do it. So instead, what they're going to do is they're going to submit some questions and then I'll ask a question of Steve-O from that podcast. So like we did oh, yeah. today, we did our, our special guest listener, uh, Chris Gable, asked a question. And so yeah. we asked a question from Chris Gable and that was that was it. Uh, uh, yeah. But as cool. far as podcasting as a medium goes, I think it's lovely. I love it. Yeah. I've always loved talk radio, uh, and now I'm actually like doing it, which is kind of neat. Yeah. Have you, I'll ask you this too. Um, what about uh, like podcast plays or even podcast podcast improv? Have yeah. you thought about doing? Something I like have that? thought about it. I've done some improv on the radio, and it works okay. You know, like radio plays and stuff yeah. like that, improvised. Uh, I've thought about it, and I may actually try it out and see how it goes. Uh, so Ooh. keep your eyes open for. For some some sort of a season of, of uh, improvised wow. podcast wow. plays or something fine. like that, I think it'd be kind of neat. Uh, um, problem with uh, the main problem with that format of improvising on the radio, especially in podcasting, mm-hmm. is uh, one of the most important elements of improvisation is the spontaneity and the improv of it. And if the audience isn't there to witness the improv of it, then it loses its improv. Mm-hmm. Right, like there's no way for it the could have just been written. We could have just written it and acted like we were making it up. You have no idea because you're not there to witness it, and so that element taken out might break it. So I'm still trying to figure out how we can improvise a radio play uh, and still have the audience in on the the discovery of it. 
Yeah. Yeah. So short of doing just like a live show where we record the radio play in front of a live studio audience, I'm not sure. Although now that I've just said that, that's a really good idea. Oh, you're figuring it out. Another thing that happened. Oh, how much big Okay. Uh, another thing, you got married almost a year ago, or more than a year ago? Just over a year ago. I got married a, a year ago in August. And you're, um, she's your business partner also, is that right? Or yeah, you could say business partner. Yeah. I say business partner. Okay. Uh, no, she's uh, my definitely partner in everything. Yeah. So Okay, in everything. Artistic partner. And yeah, we, make, uh, we, we do art together. We make, um, we make shows together. We make love together. We do all of that stuff together. Cool. We are married. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we got married. But uh, before then, like, she she runs this Victoria Spoken Word Festival, and I help her with that. And then I run Paper Street, and she helps me with that. She is also a cast member in Paper Street Theater as well uh, and does a lot of the costumes for Paper Street. She's, like, our costume director, uh, if we had one, <laughs> our wardrobe mistress. I don't know what you call it. Uh-huh. So it's like a mom-and-pop operation. Then. It sort of is, yeah. But, I mean, it's also, like um, – and we also have a lighting designer that works with us, Emma Dickerson, mm-hmm. who does all of our lighting stuff. We have uh, a sound designer, Dan Godlovich, does all of our sound design. So there's like, like, uh, we're, like we're a pretty big family of yeah, people. Okay. It's not just it's not just Missy and I. Yeah, well, okay. Although Missy yeah, does a lot of the, she does the stuff that I need help with, <laughs> like <laughs> costumes right, and right. Uh, and she helps with promotions as well. So she does a lot of the e newsletter and she runs the paper street newsletter and the. Uh, online ads and um, press releases and that sort of thing. And then I do all the print design and posters and stuff myself. So it gets pretty crazy busy. Oh, that's fun. Where do you see Paper Street going in the future? Like, I don't know. How, I don't know how many years I should project out. Or well, pick a year. Pick a year. Yeah. Pick a number. Uh, this year is 2015. So what are you doing in 2018? 2018, we'll probably be doing exactly what we're doing now, but a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. That's the goal for the 2018. Uh, we're going to be moving out of the current space we're in probably next year. So we have about a year left in that space before they're tearing it down. I just found out. Mm. Uh, so I kind of knew it was going to get torn okay. down eventually. I just didn't know when. And yeah. now it looks like I have like an actual date. Uh, so we have about a year to get into a new space. And that new space we're looking at is hopefully going to be a bigger space. Uh, we've got a few leads. But a year out, it's still hard to, like, guarantee. Sure. Okay. So so, uh, so by 2018, though, we should definitely be in a, a slightly bigger space than we are now doing more regular shows there. And what about the year 2025? In 2025, we will have a theater in space <laughs> where we do improvised moonwalks and uh, improvised... Um, broadcasts to uh, into into the universe to find life. Uh, why did you choose uh, Victoria, like to to sort of stay and be based out of? Um, when I was, however old I was, twenty something, when mm-hmm. I was living in Vancouver, and where I was born and raised, I was at a point where I was like, just sort of uh, quitting jobs and just doing art. And like working at just art, I wanted to just mm. be an artist. And anyone who's ever tried to do that knows that you usually quit everything, try and do art for a while, and then you get another job, and then you quit that job, and you try and do art for a while, and then you get another job, and you go into the cycle for a little while. So I was kind of in that cycle, and I met my now wife, who is living in Victoria. And so we were sort of like 
commuting back and forth and spending a lot of time together. Mm-hmm. And on one of those trips, I, found, I bumped into a friend of mine here in Victoria who had a studio space that he was uh, <laughs> paying next to nothing for because it was broken down, had no hot water. It was just a uh, terrible space, but huge. And it was right downtown on Yates uh, Street across from the parkade there. It's right. now really expensive condos. Yeah. But it was this big, empty studio space. And so I was like, wow, that's great. Uh, you know, hey, I'll pay half your rent if you let me teach improv in here and live in the front. And he said yes. And so I moved over to Victoria, and I lived in a studio <laughs> and taught out of it for, like, the first year that I was here um, in this, like, dirt cheap, horrible, <laughs> there was no hot water, there was no heat. We had to get electric heaters during the winter, <laughs> and, like, there was a drummer on the corner drumming all night when we'd sleep. It was just great. Um <laughs> Living the the bohemian artist lifestyle <laughs> when I first came out here, but and that lasts for about a year. And now since then, I've been building towards where I am now. And now I'm I'm doing I'd, I'd say pretty successfully, pretty uh, pretty happy. I'm doing what I love. Mm-hmm. So you, do you, I guess I see you as a pillar of the community. I guess I'd say that. Um, I I guess I shouldn't ask you if you feel that. Uh, well, what does it feel like? Do you, feel uh, like? you know, it's it's neat. It's a it's an interesting question because. I wouldn't say I feel like a pillar of the community. I definitely say I feel like a pillar of the theatrical community okay. in the yeah. theater world. But pillar is an interesting word for someone that does improv. Because mm. oh, okay, M- yeah, maybe I shouldn't have, but I don't know. I, I'm definitely the improv face in the community. So if you're talking to someone at the Fringe Festival yeah. about improv in Victoria, they'll tell you to talk to Dave. Yeah. If you're talking to someone in, like, the the Belfry Theater community about improv in Victoria, they'll tell you to talk to Dave. Uh, So in the theater world, when it comes to improv, they send them to my way. But improv and theater, I don't know if you know this, but there's there's theater and then there's improv. And theater is this great thing, and then there's improv. And the people in theater look at improv like, improv and that look down on it as like a lesser form of theater like a little brother that you know is missing a leg or something like do you intend to change that or um so uh so well first like to finish answering that question i feel like i'm uh, i'm known in the community as the improviser and, and the paper street is known as the improv company uh, within the improv community, I feel more like a pillar where okay. all the other improvisers in the community know of Paper Street and come to Paper Street and, and uh, a lot of the other t- groups in town, uh, Whistling Kettle, I know them well enough and a few of their company members I've spent time just talking with about improv and life. Uh, w- the Lightning Theater, they're all students of mine. The Vikes Improv at UVic are all st- have been students of mine at one point or another. So it's sort of this like... Uh, um, in the improv community, I definitely feel like a strong, you know, part of it, yeah. which is the whole goal of opening a studio was like, I wanted to give the improv community kind of a clubhouse somewhere that we can yes. all yeah. come and, and when people are like, ooh, where do we do improv? You come to Paper Street Studio, right? Um, instead of go talk to Dave, it's go down to mm-hmm. Paper Street Studio. There's a place you can actually go, which is really nice. Um So, yeah, uh, and do I want to change that view of improv and try and raise it up? I do, and I have been trying to do that with Paper Street, and I think Mm -hmm. successfully as well. I think Mm -hmm. we're getting better and better, and more and more respect is being brought and and given to improvisation as a theatrical art form as opposed to just 
a fun thing to do to create better things. Yeah. Did, with the Paper Street format of like uh, grabbing existing genres and uh, styles and stuff like that, do other improv groups in around the country do that also? Uh, so yeah. Did you pick that up from them or did you? Um, yes. Uh, there's a few groups around the world that are pretty well known for it. In Toronto, there's a group that uh, called the National Theatre of the World. I think that's what they're called, National oh, okay. Theatre of the World. Yeah. Uh, and they do sort of more theatrical genre-style improvisation when they're great. There's uh, and I'm sure every group in improv has done style and genre at some point. Mm-hmm. It's a thing we do, genre. Um, the way we do it, we approach it from more of a a theater-looking way, which is inspired a lot by unexpected productions in Seattle, Washington. Uh, a gentleman named Randy Dixon, I worked with in Berlin one year, and he taught us Tennessee Williams. And taught us all about Tennessee Williams and how to improvise like Tennessee Williams and yada yada. And so we did this Tennessee Williams show and it was great and I loved it. And so when we came back, we mounted our own version of Tennessee Williams here in Victoria. And that was sort of the birth of Paper Street Theater. Uh, And so the way we approach it, there aren't very many groups in the world that I know of. Um, Because we do approach it from a, uh, a research focused and actually like like nerding out and learning about not only what Samuel Beckett wrote, but how, why he wrote it, mm-hmm. what was going on in the world when he was writing it that influenced him. What about his relationship with James Joyce, and how does that affect his writing, and how does he feel about the church, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so, we, so when we, we, we get that in depth, like the Style Guide podcast, into who these people are, and that is where we uh, improvise from. And then with as far as the improv goes, we try to keep it as improvised as possible. So a lot of companies that do this kind of genre work will end up giving themselves flags and structure that they're working within. So it's like it's always this crew on this spaceship and you're always the captain and I'm always the computer Mm -hmm. and we do this sort of thing. Uh, And not to say that we don't uh, sometimes end up with structure, but the structure should come from the style's inherent structure, not from one particular show. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, it just sounds like it'd be difficult to do. But well, it's like, it's like, it. well, I mean, it's like if you're doing a, a science fiction show. Uh, you could do it, like we did a sci-fi thriller, okay, and you mm-hmm. could do a sci-fi thriller based on Alien, where you have people on a ship who go to a planet, something gets on the ship, and then they all die one by one until the last person kills the bad thing. And that could be your structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Paper Street would never do that much of a structure. Our structure would be, uh, okay, so a sci-fi thriller starts. Uh, we have to establish the characters. We have to establish what what the parameters are so that we know where, like the house, so to speak, so we know what, like for the monster in the house story that is a sci-fi thriller, what is the spaceship. Uh, and then they have to do something that warrants them having bad stuff happen to them. And then bad stuff has to happen to them. And that's sort of it. Um, So, like, keeping it as simple as possible in the sense that if we don't do those things, then it won't feel like a sci-fi thriller. As opposed to, here's a bunch of things to make it easy to do a sci-fi thriller. Are you staying, are you planning on staying in Victoria, I guess? Like, do you like Victoria as a home base and all that? That's a great question. Because most artists that you talk to are looking to get out of wherever they are, mm-hmm. you know, or to get to that next big thing and move on, move to L.A., move to New York, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, and I am very happy in Victoria. I'm very happy here. I uh, I do enough traveling as it is now. Yeah. Doing corporate speaking work and uh, doing festivals and stuff. I'm going to Europe in January, and I go to the prairies every summer on a nice, fun road trip, and down to the states every year. So there's enough like things that I do every year where I go away, uh, and it's really nice to have something to come back to. And a, a lot of times you meet artists who spend their life on the road, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and they're always on the road, always working, always traveling. And after a while, you get kind of tired of that lifestyle. And I think there was a time when maybe I did want that lifestyle, but then I did travel a lot and went to a lot of festivals and went to a lot of different things. And now I'm just looking to have something that I can just settle into forever, you know, and and have this nice, like, studio, do shows here, have a community built around what we do. Like, Paper Street Theater has this great audience of uh, that, that comes to see all of our shows mm-hmm. that aren't necessarily improvisers or comedians or, or improv or comedy audiences. They're just a uh, paper street audience. They're, they're people that like what we do. And so cultivating that community so that when I go to a show, I'm performing for basically a room full of my friends who, who, who I've built up over the last five years doing paper street. Uh, that feeling is so great. Mm-hmm. And then to go away and do like a big show at a festival where you're like a rock star. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then come back and have something to come back to is so nice. Instead of that always-on-the-road lifestyle and then coming home and having to, like, book the next tour. Um, one thing I noticed about uh, improv, I guess this is going back to an earlier question. Mm-hmm. We were talking about um, Paper Street's style or, or what you do. Um, and uh, I was listening to the style guide at some point, and you were, I think it might have been you were mentioning Beckett or somebody writing. Um, uh, and um, you were saying, like, you were getting into how to write or how they wrote or, you know, what their sort of idea of be- best practices were. And it occurred to me that um, uh, when you do, like, certain Paper Street, it's it's not necessarily the first thing how, – how do I put this? I don't see the Paper Street voice right away because I see you doing other voices. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you were talking about writing plays and stuff, it's like, oh, okay, this is his voice. And how do we – like you're really getting into Beckett's voice or yeah. somebody else's voice. Um, and I was wondering, like, that might actually just be a necessary part of finding your own voice is just being able to emulate yeah, other that's voices. So I, I, I know where you're going at with this question. Okay. Is that what is Paper Street's voice? If all we do is research other people's voices, do we have a voice? Yeah. Am I alive? <laughs> if all I do is emulate other people. Um, I hope that's not disrespectful. I no, it's not at all. It's it's a great question. And I think one of the beautiful things about improv, and I try to teach this to some of my students who insist on not listening to me, but <laughs> you can't take the joy out of improvisation. Mm. You can't do it. You can try as hard as you want but the fact that it's being made up on the spot, if an audience knows that, as soon as they recognize that, there is a feeling of joyfulness, of watching people discover something. Um, so if you are improvising a tragic suicide moment or something horribly heartbreaking, um, but I know you're improvising that. I may cry in that moment because it's so tragic and beautiful, 
but I am still in this feeling of I'm I'm happy watching you do this, even though I'm sad. You know, like uh, it, it's joyful. It's a it's a it's an experience that we're all sharing together. And if you remove the joy and try to like replace it with perfect theater, so it looks absolutely perfect, and you lose that improvisation aspect of it. Mm-hmm. then you also remove your ability to fail uh, and make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And improvisation thrives on people making mistakes and then fixing them. And so if you can't make a mistake, then you now have this really plain, serious show that just sucks. Mm. Um, but uh, to answer your question, with taking with Paper Street's voice, is you can't take Paper Street's voice out of what we do no matter how hard we try. So if we analyze Beckett and then we get in and we start doing Beckett, what I say on stage, you still know is coming from Dave Mm -hmm. and you see that that I'm discovering it with you and you and I have this wonderful, joyful moment connection from audience to performer through Beckett. Uh, And it's the same as like uh, we have a man in our cast, Andrew Brimmel, who is just a funny guy and he can play so serious and you're still like joyfully having a laugh, even though he's perfectly nailing Mamet. It's still funny to watch him do it, you know. And like, so it's impossible to really take our personalities out of what we do. But um, to the second part of your thing, uh, analyzing other people's voices to find your own voice—that's mm-hmm. something that I love about what's happening right now in Paper Street, and where I think the future, the next few years, is going to be going—is. Right. Uh, when Paper Street does a show that isn't a style show, that isn't like it's just like a corporate gig or something like that, right. you'll see us make offers to each other for not a style, but a style-ish offer. So uh, we'll do a, a show and we'll get Chicken Coop as a suggestion and immediately t- start talking about like doing this really poetic monologue about chicken coops. Mm. And everyone realizes that, oh, this is sort of a Tennessee Williams move. It's not a Tennessee Williams show, but this moment he's used, he's drawing from Tennessee Williams, and I know that, so I'm going to let him do it, and then I'm going to go out, I'm going to add into his Tennessee Williams-esque type thing, and then maybe someone else shows up with like a, well, had it, boys. And now it's like, oh, that was more of a Western thing. Oh, so we're having like a face-off, like in a Western. And we know the different story styles so well and different genres and different moods that we can shift into them. Or two members of our cast just do a duo show now, they call Ants, mm-hmm. which is inspired heavily by Samuel Beckett and Franz Kafka, which oh, are two shows yeah. that we've done. But it's not those styles. It's them just doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. But when I watch it, I say, ooh, I see them totally doing that sort of Kafka-esque thing there and this Beckett-ish type moves, right? And you see it in their work. So it's almost like we're allowing these things that we've studied to influence our work. That's pretty awesome. Do you ever, like, here's one, I, I think, one of our last questions here. Probably. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, what about, um, like, all of these plays from the past are sort of, we have them now. We have the benefit of having those having been written down but with improv you're not leaving a record behind nope so this is a problem for future generations um or how do we navigate that 
we just have to keep it going, I guess, maybe, like generation after generation, just have the culture perpetuate itself so that... To me, that's like saying uh, fishing, because, like, you eat the fish, then you don't have the fish to pass down <laughs> to the next generations. They'll never be able to fish because uh, <laughs> they're losing the record of the fish. Uh, when really what you need to pass on, and same with like, uh, or you don't pass on that same fishing rod, so now they don't have that fishing rod, they have to make their own fishing rod. Because uh, to me, it, it's a similar question where improvisation is a set of skills and a way of doing something. Mm-hmm. It is a way of creating work. So what you apply that to is totally up to you. And in fact, if you saw our work, that would not help you do more improvisation necessarily. It might even limit you because then you're just trying to emulate what you've seen before. Uh, Which is another part of where Paper Street tries to to veer off with what we do with style is we go right back to the original source of the style and work from there instead of riffing off of what other improvisers do with that style. Mm. Like, film noir has been ruined by improvisers. So it's kind of important Uh, that it's from another, like from either film or theater or something like that for paper street yeah well it's just if uh it's it's this like improvisers have gotten into a a, a ring of they do film noir show st- scenes in the style of other improv film noir scenes right so they all start with like this dame walked into my office and smoking a cigarette and this she had legs that went all the way up to her heels or whatever like they'll they'll do this this is like super cheesy detective in an office while a woman comes in and then uh and then he's like I knew it was you all the time and that's the so and that those are elements of film noir but there's so much more in film noir mm. that improvisers don't even know about because some of them haven't even seen a film noir movie before mm. they've only ever seen other improvisers do film noir <laughs> and so it's ended up limiting what improvisers do with with genre work because they only do what they see other improvisers improvise of that genre. Instead of, if you wanted to improvise Tennessee Williams, let's read a bunch of Tennessee Williams plays, watch a bunch of Tennessee Williams plays, get on stage and try to make uh, make it feel like those things that we just read and watched. Okay, I have an analogy that, I, that I've only used to myself, but I'll try this out on you. Please. But, um, I, li- I ride a bicycle, like as my main mo- method of transportation, right. um, and uh, I'm like sometimes struggle with. I think everybody should ride a bicycle, but then I think like the reason that we have like such a thriving, like why we have bicycles at all, uh, mainly like all these factories and stuff is because people make cars, and like that's the more that's the bigger, more important industry that everybody has, and then sort of this this other industry of bicycles it's smaller and it's more niche and they they use ideas that people have come up with making great cars and materials and metals and stuff mm-hmm. so it's like i it's, i almost see like there's this world of theater and film that's sort of this bigger industry and then improv is this like other thing that comes up because it has these things to work material to work with from other industries i guess Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. It's the same with, like, the reason we have computers is because we spent hundreds of years making trains. Mm, and we yeah. learned how to machine small parts, and then we've managed to, because we made trains and stuff, we could make even smaller things and even smaller things and so on and so forth until eventually now 
everyone's like, why do we have trains? They're so stupid. I'll send you an email. <laughs> uh, yeah. Without understanding that you needed one to have the other. Uh, although I think with improvisation, that is not necessarily true. I think it's almost the... Um, I wanted to say it's almost the other way around, but I don't think that's true. Like, film and television takes all of these great things from improvisation and mm-hmm. takes all these great things from independent theater and uh, that improvisers uh, who are on the cutting edge, not shitty comedy improvisers, <laughs> um, but okay. improvisers that are trying to, like, like a, like that are trying to push forward what the craft can do and theater practitioners who are like pushing forth what they can do with theater and and challenging themes and trying to do much more difficult work that is less accessible, more emotional, harder to to connect with necessary for like a general audience. Mm -hmm. Those are the people that are really pushing forward what we can do with art. And then film and television community takes the things that we come up with that work without taking the things that we came up with that didn't work mm. and then making yeah, yeah. successful products out of it yeah. and take the safe route. So they, so cars are pushing forward what we do with technology as far as machining goes, although I'd say nowadays it's moving over to electronics and computer companies, but still, like, mm-hmm. they're pushing forward. The cars are pushing forward what we did with machining to make bicycles better. Mm-hmm. But in theater, I think theater and independent theater and improvisational theater are pushing forward what art can be and then film and television is just living off of <laughs> okay. all our hard work. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, I get, yeah, I guess we should wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, we should wrap it up on that, like, <laughs> fuck film and television. <laughs> That's not true. I like film and TV. I like it. Time, I appreciate uh, it. It's a, it's a great thing. I like I like movies and stuff. Uh, yeah, so check, yeah, there's, we have Question Period. We have the Style Guide podcast. Mm-hmm. We have... Uh, stuff like that. We have Paper Street classes that people can take. Yeah, take uh, everything that we're talking about right now. You can find at paperstreettheater.ca, which is the website for Paper Street Theater, or you can go to thestyleguide.ca or questionperiod.net. Perfect. Okay. Uh, th- yeah. Thanks so much, Dave. For thanks for having me. It's been fun. All right. Theme song.